Welcome to Northern Exposure, the podcast that we hope will help Canadian medical students explore their potential future careers as Canadian physicians. We're your hosts. I'm Hannah Levy. And I'm Ann Keller. Our guest today is Dr. Ekta Kamani. Dr. Kamani is an anesthesiologist at Niagara Health and an anesthesiologist and assistant professor at McMaster University. She completed her master's degree, medical school, and residency at the University of Toronto, after which she worked as a clinical associate at SickKids, completing additional training in quality improvement and patient safety. She has presented and authored numerous papers on this topic and is an associate editor for BMJ Open Quality. In addition to her clinical practice, Dr. Kamani works as a quality improvement specialist, mentors students, and developed the first fellowship program for medical residents in quality improvement and patient safety in Canada. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Kamani. No problem. My pleasure. We have divided our interview into three sections. The first is about you and your specialty. We'll then move on to a few questions about your journey and how you decided your specialty was right for you. We'll then finish with the nitty-gritty details of what the day-to-day looks like in your job. Sounds good. One of the reasons that we wanted to start this podcast is because we wanted to get a feel for what specialties are really like. So to that end, can you give us an elevator pitch for your job as an anesthesiologist, or in other words, a short sales pitch for your specialty? Yeah, so I think anesthesia, I would say, is, um, first of all, I love my field. I love my job. (laughs) That's always a good sign. Um, And what I like about my job is that a lot of my job is reassuring patients that uh, they're going to be in a safer environment and that I'm going to be able to manage their pain. And it's also a very cerebral job in the sense that you do have to know a lot about different fields of medicine. So when I was going through U of T, they have foundations of medical practice. And when I was going through for each module. So when I was learning OB, I was like, oh, I'm going to be an obstetrician. And then when I was going through general surgery, I was like, no, I'm going to be a surgeon. And I really liked every single module. So I thought anesthesia is one of those great fields where you actually apply pretty much every specialty and you have to know a little bit of each, which I thought was really interesting. And then the physiology parts are really cool that I thought is really dynamic. So actually one of the things that they mentioned in my interview was that anesthesia um, has been one of those fields in medicine that has really evolved over the last 20 years. And um, the question is, would you agree? And I said, absolutely, because we've really seen so many changes in terms of pain medications, in terms of using ultrasound to do nerve blocks, in terms of now COVID. Um, So it's a very dynamic field. And I feel like you never really get bored. So that's what I think I love the most about my job, that I'm able to satisfy people's pain, make them feel safe but still really stimulate myself uh, mentally with all the uh, all the different fields and the knowledge I have to know from each different field. I definitely relate to the liking a little bit of everything. Yeah. <laughs> How does your personality complement your job? So it's, it's interesting because I'm actually a chatter and you think like anesthetists, you know, they're not really chatters because most of the time our patients are sleeping. Um, <laughs> So it's like people actually think that my personality may not be suited for my job, but I actually think that if you have kind of like this bubbly personality, it does help you because, you know, patients are coming in and the way I think about it is, you know, maybe we've seen people with ruptured appendixes so many times. You've seen appendicitis so many times to get their appendix out. It's no big deal. But for that person, that's probably the most stressful thing they've ever gone through in their life. So being able to kind of talk to them and reassure them, even if it's for 10 minutes, I I really feel like having kind of an outgoing personality does help you with that. And then a lot of my job is teamwork, like maybe not necessarily all the time with my patients, like they're not participating as much. (laughs) Um, 
but you are definitely in a team environment with nurses and shirt surgeons and RTs and there's a whole group of people in code situations. So having the ability to talk to uh, your own colleagues and interact with them is also super important. So I think whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, I think there's a place for you in anesthesia. One of the, I guess, wonderful things and terrifying things about med school is that so much of what we hear is kind of echoed back and forth to each other in terms of, you know, who is the right type of fit for which specialty. So it's very helpful to hear your perspective on on who can fit. Looking at the other side, maybe negative perceptions of anesthesia. A survey study of U of T medical students published in 2010 examined students' perceptions of anesthesia, and top negative perceptions included boredom and lack of continuity of care. What are your thoughts on these kinds of perceptions? So I understand where people come from when they see the boredom because they think, okay, well, put the patient to sleep and then you have an hour until they wake up. And yeah, that can be true, but I really think it depends on the patient. For example, I had a case that was going to be one of those boring cases where I can um, sit on my iPhone. But um, actually what happened is, is like I went, uh, we had an AA in the room. So they're allowed to be in the room when, when you leave after the patient's intubated. And I went and I got pizza and I was all excited. And then all of a sudden the AA called me back frantically and my patient went into anaphylactic shock. So that my boring case turned out to be very exciting, very fast. So yeah, there are going to be downtimes to your job and there are going to be times where you're extremely challenged, whether you're managing a code situation, an unanticipated difficult airway, a surgeon runs into bleeding. I see enough excitement uh, to definitely keep me interested for, I don't know, for the rest of my career. <laughs> Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing it. And I think that, I think the unfortunate thing is, I think sometimes when you're a med student, you don't really see that. So I think having exposure to as many different anesthesia electives or even shadowing if you can't get an elective is really important because the more you see, uh, the more cases, the more challenges you see, the more problems that happen. And I also think that there is value in shadowing to do call because that's when you don't have these super optimized patients. And that's when, you know, you have really stressful situations. And yeah, you're definitely not on your iPhone, you're definitely running around <laughs> and you know, you're thinking about the next step. So that's how I'd answer the boring question. Um, and then the other, sorry, you have to remind me about uh, the other issue that was a negative. It was the lack of continuity of care. I would say that's fair. Yeah. I mean, I kind of like that in a way. Um, and I'll tell you why, because I don't have a clinic that I have to manage. If someone's super rude to me, I just have to be nice to them for 10 minutes. Um, I, don't have, um, I don't have this office. I don't have people hounding me for narcotics all the time. You know, so there are advantages for not having the continuity of care that sometimes you don't really appreciate when you're in medical school, because, you know, you, especially I think a lot of medical school you do see a lot of the family medicine dynamic. And I think that's how people know of doctors, right? Because there, everybody has a family doctor. Everybody knows someone, um, or even if you don't have a family doctor, you understand primary care. But I think anesthesia is so foreign um, by not having that. 
but I think there's definitely advantages. And if you're looking for kind of long-term care, chronic pain, those patients will never leave you. So <laughs> those patients will never, ever leave you. There's, it's a huge field. It's a growing field. It's an important field. So if you really want the continuity of care, you'll absolutely find that in chronic pain. So there's definitely aspects of um, family medicine where you get frequent flyers. I think that's a really great point. I definitely don't remember the anesthesiologist I had when I had my wisdom teeth out. Yeah. I don't want people Googling me on Facebook and like finding me on Instagram. Like I like having, you know, my, my work life be my work life and my private life being my private life. A definite perk. Do you think that there are other stereotypes of anesthesiology that med students have? And then what would your thoughts be on those? Um, I think a lot of like, I mean, at least when I was going through med school was, you know, people thought that, you know, you go on your iPhone all day or, you know, like I, I remember actually at Western when I was interviewing them, I was interviewing there, they had this thing and it was kind of meant as a joke where they kind of asked the general public, do you think anesthesiologists are real doctors? And 70% of them said no, you know, <laughs> so, you know, like that's something that's, you know, somewhat concerning after a five-year residency and all the time you put in. But, you know, I think that when, once you're in the job, you kind of get it, right? Because like you said, you don't really remember your anesthetist when they're taking out your wisdom teeth, but that doesn't mean that that's something um, that's a negative thing. Like I personally, like I said, I think of that as a positive thing. Um, but if you're one of those people that wants to be like, oh, I want to be like, well known by my um, patients, and I want them to be the type that like, bring me a bottle of wine for Christmas and know who I am, like, you're not going to get that in anesthesia. Um, so if you're doing it for those really prestige factors, it's not a prestige job. It's more like you're a behind the scenes person. But like I said, there's a lot of advantages to that. And the more the older I get, and the more experience I get, I realize like, yeah, like I definitely do not want to be in the spotlight. Um, not to say I don't like to be in the spotlight for other things like my QI and patient safety. Um, but like I said, for my day to day work, I want to be able to do my job. And then when I come home, switch off my brain and go back to being a mom and a wife and all the other things I am in my life. Well, uh, speaking of all the other things you are in your life, um, we are going to move along to our second part of the podcast where we want you to tell us the the story of how you got to where you are. If there were multiple specialties you were considering, um, different paths that you were thinking about, um, and just how you chose anesthesia and how you ended up where you are. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I didn't really have, and I think this happens to a lot of people where they aren't really exposed to anesthesia until very late. And so for me, I was actually always going to do family medicine and I applied to family medicine. And for some reason I applied to urology, no offense to any urologists who may be listening to this. Um, it's only because like uh, urology, like the people I met with in Toronto were so funny and they made me laugh every day. So um, I was like, Oh, if everybody's like this, this will be great. <laughs> Not that I necessarily love the field. And then anesthesia I applied to just because everyone told me I should apply to it because they're like, oh, Aitha, you know, you like every bit bit of uh, foundations of medical practice, and um, you know, you you you're, you like physiology, and you'll, you you talk a lot to everybody, <laughs> so you'd be you'd be really good in this field. And I was like, really, like I don't really see it. Like, and I was I was actually not even considering it until maybe two weeks before the CARMS deadline, and then 
somebody said like Agatha, like no you should really like really consider it and I had people in, in anesthesia who was like yeah you know you should really consider doing it and so I only had two weeks worth of electives like that's it um and I thought and then finally my one friend said okay well even if you go into anesthesia and you hate it you could always go back to family medicine because it's easy to go from a five-year program to a two-year program rather than going from a two-year to five-year program so I said, oh, okay, like fine, I'll give it a shot. Like, what do I have to lose? And then when I came to the interview and I met other anesthesia residents or future residents, I, I realized that, yeah, actually I have a lot in common with these people. Like, I, we like the same things about medicine. We like a lot of the courses we took, the physiology, the personalities are like mine. Like, urology, um, I also interviewed for that, and the people were very nice, but just not my people. And then I think with family medicine, it was also, it was only until the interviews that I was like, you know what, like, anesthesia is the best fit. And then I was like, oh, God, now I'm never going to match. Um, and I didn't match in Toronto, and, you know, there you go. You only need to have two weeks of electives, um, at least in my time, in uh, 2009. So I think things have changed since then. Um, but I, at that time in 2009, it was still really competitive. It's just more like what I would say is even if you don't have a ton of electives in it, I think you should still apply. I definitely think that you can sell yourself um, through your interview, through your essay questions. And actually some of my staff members actually remember me from my 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 interview questions so for example they asked about why would i want to do anesthesia and i told them what i told you that's a really dynamic field and they thought that that was a really interesting answer and they thought it was pretty accurate and instead of saying like oh yeah like i really like physiology and pharmacology which i mean i don't know how many people love pharmacology it can get really dry sometimes <laughs> um it's an aspect of it um but that's not really like all of our job so yeah so i think that even if you don't have a ton of electives give it a shot and and really explore the field because it is so much more than I thought it would be and I'm so happy I listened to my friend and and decided to give it a shot throwback to when you're a med student what was it about family med that you thought originally was a good fit for you it was kind of going back to the same thing that is in anesthesia. It just maybe not so pronounced, which is like that you, I liked every single part of medicine. Like I liked OB, I liked gen surge, I liked internal medicine. So I was like, okay, well, family medicine is a good fit. But then I didn't realize that there's other fields aside from family medicine that um, actually have that. And anesthesia is like a perfect example of that. So I think that that's why I was thinking of family medicine at the time. And that's why I thought it might be a good fit. It's only because I didn't really know about other specialties. So I think even if you're not considering all the specialties or I see a lot of med students and I don't know what, what maybe times have changed, but like, I, I meet medical students right now and I'll say like, Oh, like, do you know what you want to do? And I very rarely hear, Oh, I'm not so sure. I already hear like, Oh, radiology for sure. Plastics for, for sure. Or family medicine for sure. And I mean, I think that's great that you can be so decisive at a really young stage or really early stage. If you're like just starting your clerkship, but even if you, if that's what you think, like still give each rotation your all and really try and explore it because you'd be surprised at how many specialties would be a good fit for you. And I've had friends who change specialties for that reason because they started off in general medicine and they're like, oh, actually, I really wanted family medicine. And oh, I actually really wanted plastics. But it wasn't until they got introduced until it later and they actually got a feel for it. So take the time when you're through your clerkship, even if you're gung-ho on one particular specialty, to learn 
about the other specialty because at the worst case you realize what you already thought that is not a good fit and at the best case you realize that hey you know what like I might really want to to do this or maybe this isn't what I want to do but I actually learned a lot through this rotation. I appreciate your story about not not even realizing that you would end up where you ended up until, you know, two weeks before uh, the carbons cut off. Getting reference letters, that was pretty hard. <laughs> it was like, yeah, um, I need a reference. And everyone was really nice. They were like, oh, yeah, happy to do it. I'm like, no, I need one by tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, there's definitely a lot of pressure that you you feel like you should already know before you even get your acceptance into med school. So it's it's nice to know there's a little more time. Yeah. Did you consider family medicine with that PGY3 and anesthesia at any point? Well, you know, I did I did explore that option. Um the P okay, I'm a, I'll be honest, I'm a city girl, okay? I like I like going <laughs> shopping at Yorkville, I like going to the ballet, I like going to nice restaurants. And when I explored the GP anesthesia program, it is often used for rural areas and I'm not a rural area type of person. There's nothing wrong with that. And if, if that's for you, I think that's a, a great option. But more and more um, places are looking for, if you're looking into anesthesia, are looking for rural college anesthetists. Like, for example, Barry, uh, Welland, um, which is part of Niagara Health, which is where I also work. So even areas that you would typically think would be more rural-like uh, or have more GP anesthetists, that's getting phased out. And it's really in the remote areas. I'm kind of a glamping type of girl if I even go if I even go camping. Um, so yeah, that was a relief for me. But there's not and, and the other thing is the one thing I feel about the GP anesthesia, and again, this is no by no means uh, to meant to be insulting to people who do it because I have so much respect for them. But you only get one year of anesthesia, whereas obviously by doing the anesthesia residency, you get five years. And there's a lot of learning. So I actually think it's probably at the beginning part of your career going to be very stressful because you're kind of you don't have that same experience. Whereas when I came out of residency at, uh, from Toronto, I had so much volume and seen so many cases that I was like, okay, I'm ready for my staff job now. And I couldn't wait to be done because I was just ready to start working. Whereas I think if I just did one year, like knowing my personality, I'd always feel like, oh man, did I miss out on something? Like, oh, what if I didn't know this? And what if I didn't know that? So that was kind of the deciding factor for me um, and the rural environment, but not to say that there's anything wrong in, in doing that. And especially if you feel like you get the skills you needed in one year's time. Thanks for your honesty on that. It's definitely, I, I feel like teasing out the difference between family medicine with a plus one versus the five-year rural college programs in anesthesia and also like emergency medicine, for example, it's a little bit difficult to read between the lines in terms of the advantages and disadvantages of each route. Yeah, and every specialty be different. Like I think for a lot of family medicine plus one for eMERGE, it's very different, right? Like I think you can work in cities and stuff like that, but when in anesthesia, it's not as common. That's helpful to know. Is there anything you you wish you had known before making your last minute CARMS decision? <laughs> um, yeah, like I, I wish I knew... I wish I knew about the things later in life, right? Like, I mean, I don't think you think about this when you're in medicine, but, you know, it's a lot of stress to set up your own office. And especially imagine during COVID times, right? Like people are paying rent on their offices. And if they're not seeing their patients, like that's a lot of stress, right? Whereas 
for us, it's just like, okay, I have no office. <laughs> my office is my home office. Um, <laughs> I don't have like patients that are depending on me like after every week for follow-ups. You know, I, I didn't really appreciate that part of it when I was uh, going through med school because nobody really talks to you about that part. Um, I also didn't really appreciate the fact that with anesthesia, you can easily go part-time. So that's what I do. I mean, I work... Um, as you know, in two different sites, I work at McMaster and I work at uh, Niagara. And so I work in the academic environment and the community environment. So I guess I do two part-time jobs together, make a full-time job. Um, and I like that, you know, and maybe one day I'll work in one place uh, part-time or maybe I'll continue working in both places. For right now, the long-term goal is continuing to work in um, both places because I like working in two different kinds of settings. It's, it kind of mixes it up. Whereas I don't think that a lot of specialties will allow you to do that like if for example if you're a surgeon most likely will have hospital privileges in like one major hospital or in one site and not really that you're doing this kind of split that I'm doing in anesthesia so I think the fact that you know you don't really have this overhead um, to worry about that you can kind of just do your job check in at 7 30 leave at 3 30 is really really nice work part-time it really allows you to have a life outside of medicine which again like that's something I didn't think about in medicine because it was like oh my god my whole life was studying and learning and then you finish everything and you're like okay now what <laughs> you know and then and, and you realize like oh there's a whole new world like you can go traveling and I went to Japan and I can do this and I and I can go to Japan and not worry about am I abandoning patients because guess what I'll see a new set of patients when I come back from my trip um, so I think those are great things about uh, my job that I didn't think about when I was going through school. So moving us along to our third and final part of the, the interview, we really want to dig into the nitty gritty details of what you do, the stuff that we can't necessarily find out without talking to somebody who's, who's in the job. So first off, we'd love for you to walk us through what a typical day or week looks like in your job before COVID. Um, so for example, start at 7 a.m. on Monday and take us through what it looks like. Okay, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so basically the day, usually the day before, sometimes uh, a week before, depending on the hospital, you'll find out which cases you're doing. You can be slated, um, like in Hamilton, you can do anything from gen surge to neurosurge to uh, spine cases to vascular surgery. And it just like, it can change from day to day. So like, may, and usually you don't do two days at once. So you won't do like back to back vascular days. You'll do one day would be vascular, another day will be gen surge, another day would be a plastics list. So that's typically how it works. And then you come in in the morning. Um, sometimes you read about your cases ahead of time. Sometimes you don't. It depends on what you feel, like what your relationship is. Like, so for example, I've now been working in Niagara Health for uh, some time now. So I kind of have an understanding of what kind of patients they have. And I read their consults um, kind of on the morning of and I get to know them. Then I, I set up my room, I chat with my patient, and then um, I kind of, before the briefing, because, you know, for every operation, we have to have a surgical safety checklist, but even before the briefing, I kind of talk to the surgeons, kind of say like, hey, like, you know, you booked it for three hours. Do you really think it's going to be three hours? Because that affects obviously how much narcotics I give, um, how I induce the patient, et cetera. Like, do I give them a lot of paralyzing agent? Do I give them a little bit? Are you anticipating blood loss? So I kind of just check in with the surgeon to make sure we, we kind of have an understanding. And then we do the briefing. 
And then, yeah, I induce the patient to put them to sleep. And then while they're sleeping, you know, you're charting all your hemodynamics, but you're also getting things set up for extubation too. So you're kind of anticipating things. So you're saying, okay, well, this person has nausea and vomiting. So I got to make sure I have like all my medications given them for their nausea and vomiting. Um, I got to do this for my extubation so that they wake up smooth. I got to make sure I give them a liter fluid because that's been shown to reduce post-op nausea and vomiting. So you're kind of tailoring your anesthetic based on the patient. If you have a diabetic patient, you might want to check sugars in the recovery room, or if they're on insulin, that might you might even check it even before then. So it, like I said, you're, you're always kind of tailoring how you give your anesthetic and the medications you give based on each patient. And then after you recover the patient and extubate the patient, you take them to the recovery room, um, make sure that they're stable. And then before you start the next surgery, again, you do this kind of the same thing all over again, where you set up the room again, getting the medications that again, are similar, but are always different for each patient, and then talking to that patient. So in between surgeries, a lot of times, some surgeons will be like, Oh, there's so much time in between cases. But in that time that they stop operating, I still wake up the patient, take them to the recovery room. Sometimes I do a block in the recovery room, depending on what kind of surgery they have, then go set up for the next patient, then go talk to the next patient. So for me, I'm actually always going. If I get a chance to eat or drink, it's going to be in that small amount of time in between everything. So you do have to be pretty efficient, have a good breakfast, take a granola bar. And then I usually... I always, I like to eat. I always figure out a way to eat my food. Um, even if I'm eating my food within five minutes, I do. So I don't, I don't have the luxury to go to the cafeteria and get a lunch and whatever else um, and sit down and maybe have a leisurely lunch, kind of have a fast lunch. And then by the time you're done your day at 3.30, you're like, okay, I'm done. Uh, I don't have any meetings. Nobody really likes to do, for anesthesia, we don't really like to do a ton of like late meetings. If anything, we'll have maybe a four or five o'clock meeting and that's maybe once a month and otherwise there's meetings in the morning sometimes and then yeah you just you go home make sure all your charting and your documentation's done you can see what you're doing for the next day but tomorrow I mean every day kind of varies so tomorrow I'm on a position called float where I can be called for anything. So I can be called for cardioversions. I can be called for C-sections. I can be called for um, unanticipated difficult airways. So that's a specific day for for us, but where it's very varied. But most of the time, I would say you have a set day where you're doing a set amount of cases um, with uh, a specific kind of surgery, like vascular surgery or plastic surgery. How often is float versus those more scheduled, I guess, not predictable, but more predictable days? Yeah, um, so float is, I would say I do it like maybe twice a month. And that's more common in the community centers, not so much in the academic centers. I'm not really sure why that is. Um, it's just kind of the way it I've typically seen it work. And I haven't really questioned it that much. So I can't really tell you why it is that way and why it's not. Um, but float is an interesting position because it's kind of like what you do when you're on call where you don't know what you're getting. Um, you're kind of mixing OB with regular cases and kind of balancing it out. So yeah, so I think if you're trying to figure out well what's call going to be like, but you're not allowed to do call or they have some sort of uh, issues where it's like, oh, yeah, elective students can't do call, then I, I think trying to do some float uh, would kind of give you a little bit of an understanding and appreciation for what happens during call. 
speaking of call, what what does call look like for you? And um, how often are you on call? What's your schedule? Yeah, so I would say if that's if there's like one negative about the job, it's that you are in house for call. So for a lot of places, I mean, so in Hamilton, you are in house until the cases are done because they don't have OB um, at Hamilton General or at um, at Jerminski where I work. But there's a special OB group who work at the at the hospital for just doing OB. Um, so after you're done your cases at two three, you can go home if you're within 20 minutes of the hospital. In academic centers, just because they often have a number of staff on, some are doing full time, some are doing part time. Usually you get two to four calls a month maximum. Um, Whereas in the community, you would easily get four a month, up to seven a month. Um, And usually in the community, like in Niagara, I manage OB and the OR. So calls can be really busy. Um, But then every once in a while, you'll get a call that surprises you. Like one day I was in call at Welland and I had no cases for 24 hours, (laughs) which is fine. You know, it just, it just, sometimes you get a lot, sometimes you get a little. And then sometimes people think, oh, academic centers, you know, you're going to be up all night. That's not true. I was just a call on Friday and we finished at one. I don't want that to change my call karma. Um, but sometimes sometimes you have crazy nights and then sometimes you have quiet nights, uh, even if it's in, a, in an academic center. I would say, surprisingly, you do have busier nights in the community just because you're managing so many things. And yeah, you don't, it's not really a specialty where you can like, answer your phone and be like giving like orders while you're in your pajamas like in bed you know it's like okay we're gonna start there's a ruptured triple a like we need you now there's an unanticipated difficult airway we need you now so um you do have to it's one of those things that when you're on call you need to be really on but then what's great is then when your shift is over and this even happened to me as a resident when your shift is over like that's it like i remember one time I was in the trauma bay and I was intubating somebody and I think that we changed over at four o'clock um, and like 4 p.m. because we did like 16 hour shifts. And then as I was intubating and holding the laryngoscope, somebody else held the laryngoscope and they're like, oh, your shift is done. <laughs> you can go. It's like, I can just, I can just put those in the tube and it's fine, <laughs> you know, but it's like, you're really done. Um, so that's really nice for me that I know that regardless of how terrible the day is going or how busy it is, there is this definite stop. I didn't know that. That's, that is, I think, a rarity uh, in medicine. Yeah, I mean, it depends. Like sometimes the community hospitals, like they will get you to work the post-call day. But usually that's, again, that's if you don't have crazy calls. Like if it's like a place where typically call means that you finish at 8 p.m., then sometimes most people would find it reasonable that you work the next day. Okay. So I want to take us back to the stereotypes question when we talked about boredom. If you had to put an estimate on it, what percent of your time would you say is spent managing exciting aspects and and what percent of the time goes as expected? Or to quote the saying that I've somewhat heard is that anesthesia is 99% boredom and 1% sheer terror. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'd go into that extremes, like for sure, um, the 99%, I wouldn't say that's all the time. I don't think the sheer terror, sheer sheer terror is probably 1%. 
I would say it's more like 75% of the time it's all smooth sailing. Uh, 25% it can be like excitement, but excitement, like I said, can come in different ways. You know, like it could be managing a really, really crazy trauma that, you know, like you don't know the outcome of how the patient's going to be doing because there's gunshot wounds or like um, a stat C-section where, or even if it's a scheduled C-section, but all of a sudden they have postpartum bleeding that you're managing. Um, so maybe 75 to 80% of the time, it's kind of smooth sailing, which is what you want. And then the 20% is like, okay, I really have to manage this now or the ways the patient's going to have a lot of serious consequences. And again, it depends if you specialize in fields like people who also do critical care and anesthesia um, probably see their split would probably be different from my split and again it depends if you're on in academic or community in community because you know by definition you're not doing like such major cases then uh, presumably the morbidity is a little bit less but having said that like some of the sickest patients I have have been in the community because sick patients are everywhere and you just have to deal with it so for me having the split between academic and and community is really great because it keeps up my my skills but yeah like I would say it's more 80 20 or like 75% of the time it's kind of downtime but like I said as you go through life you realize how much that 75% of everything going smoothly or 80% of the time where everything's going smoothly is so important for your mental health as well. Continuing on the train of what your days look like, what's an aspect of your job that makes you really excited to go to work most days? I think it's just like, you know, you work with, um, even though you don't have the same patients, uh, you do work with the same people pretty often, pretty regularly. So if I go to work and I'm like, okay, I have these nurses, I have this surgeon, no matter what happens, it's going to be a good day, right? Because it is a lot of teamwork. Um, so I think that that's what makes me, that's one of the things that makes me excited. I think the other thing, um, probably more important is like, I do, I really do love my job. I really do love seeing my patients. I love being able to reassure them like, you know what, I know surgery is scary, but it's it's not going to be too bad. Like we do this all the time. You're going to be fine. We give you medications for your pain relief. And like when people have, for example, when people have shoulder surgery and they've never had a block before, and then they have a surgery and they've gotten a block, they're like, oh my gosh, this is life changing. <laughs> you know, when you can take away somebody's pain, it is such a satisfying thing. Or when people are screaming in labor, and I can tell you because I was one of those, and then you get an epidural and it's just like, yeah, I feel nothing now. <laughs> this is great. Like that's, like, that's like immediate gratification. And I really like that. Like, you know, and I, I also like the immediate gratification. Oh, somebody has a cancer and oh, great. They woke up and it's gone. Their cancer is gone. So if you're the type of person who likes kind of that immediate gratification, someone's in pain and they're not, or, you know, someone had cancer and now their cancer has gone, then I think that that's an aspect of anesthesia that you would really like. And I think that's what keeps me going. And same with like the calls, because I think sometimes anesthesia gets a bad rep because it's in-house call for a lot of the times. But I mean, think about what they're calling you in-house for. They're not calling you to be like, oh, can you have like a little chit chat with somebody at three in the morning? No, they're like, okay, hey, you know, this patient is exsanguinating. <laughs> we need you now. Or this patient is, you know, um, has 
has has come in and has a difficult area and we need you now. And I think that's like that's a great way to show that you have a skill set that's valuable and you have a lot to offer your patients and also you have a lot to offer your colleagues. And that's pretty satisfying, I think. Is there a specific clinical encounter or experience in your field that has stuck with you as particularly poignant? Yeah, I mean, there's 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 lots of different ones. I think one of them that I can think about recently was there was a patient, I think this is an issue given the opioid crisis that we're facing right now. And that's kind of one of the areas where I do a lot of my QI and patient safety stuff on. But we had this patient who was from a group home and whose life kind of went downhill due to narcotic addiction. And he actually needed surgery. So it's like, okay, how do you give someone an anesthetic when they have a narcotic addiction, you know, and he was like, I don't want to have any narcotics. My life has been ruined because of narcotics, but he's having a painful surgery. So that's a challenge. And that's a challenge you can get at any time, whether you're doing a complicated list or a very uh, challenging list um, or a very simple list. And so in in that particular patient's case, um, I was able to offer them a spinal anesthetic without using any opioids. And it was all local anesthetic. And he was totally fine and that's that's so that to me was so satisfying that you know he was able to get through his surgery i was able to prevent him from going back onto an addiction that changed his life and he was able to kind of move on with his life and not feel so scared about surgery anymore because he was like okay you know what we're going to try it this way there's there's different ways that I can still get pain relief without having opioids and that was something that kind of stuck out with me recently there's there's like there's so many stories because I could go on and on and as you guys can tell from this podcast I'm a chatter Um, I will never not have a story for you but I think just with the opioid crisis that's one that that sticks out to me for for right now and you know you're gonna see stories where you've seen the crazy traumas um, you're gonna see stories where you know patients are you know pushing their baby out and they'll say oh we need an epidural and you can and people think oh you can you have you only have a certain amount of time to get an epidural afterwards it's too late that's not true you can still get pain relief and you know it's kind of it's kind of cool that you know no matter what the situation for pain from a pain point of view an anesthetist can always try try and figure out a way to help you. Very rarely is there a time where I said to a patient, like, actually, you know, kind of sucks to be you. I, I really can't <laughs> offer you anything. You know, I, like, I wish I could, but I can't. It's, it's very rare. Like, there's always something that we've kind of learned through different doing different skills, um, by having experience, by seeing blocks, by doing different rotations that we can offer patients in terms of pain relief. Well, you know, that is good to know. I'll keep that in my back pocket, that it is never too late for an epidural. (laughs) Uh, Given that um, clinical exposure is currently very limited, what are some things about your job that we wouldn't see on paper when we're reading about it and looking into it? I guess you wouldn't really see how... Number one, how dynamic it is, because like I said, things just change on the fly. And, you know, you do get those 1% of sheer terrors, but there's also a lot of like little um, small changes that can happen that can really change how your day goes. So that's something that you like, I think the dynamic part is something that people don't really see. And it's hard to also explain and articulate also, because uh, like, how do I explain 
that, yeah, you know what, you're starting to do your, you have your schedule list, but that there's bleeding or actually the patient gets an anaphylactic. Like it's not, it's, it can be so varied that you can't really necessarily prepare for it. So I think that's one part of it. The other thing that I've mentioned before is how flexible the job is. Like I think when you think about traditional jobs in medicine, you think, okay, I'm going to be working at this one hospital for the rest of my life kind of thing. And this is like what I do day in and day out. Whereas with anesthesia, there's so many things. And, you know, how you give your anesthetic has changed. Um, where we give anesthesia has changed. Like before, you used to be in the hospitals. Now you're seeing a lot of people do anesthesia and colonoscopy clinics. Um, I wonder in the future if they're going to have more remote um, surgical sites where it's like kind of like a small little hospital where all you do is do hernias like that's similar to shoulder dice like we might see more of those or plastic surgery clinics like your job is so varied and I don't think I appreciated that so much in medical school so I think that that's something that's not on paper but certainly there um, and I think that once you get to know anesthetists we have a lot of personality <laughs> um, I think I think we are our field gets a lot of bad rap for being like pretty dry but actually like like, I think of a lot of anesthetists, I think most of them do love their jobs. I think there were surveys about um, job satisfaction, and I think anesthesia was in the top five. I know it's part of the road to success. I don't know if you guys have heard of the road. I haven't. Oh, you haven't? Okay. Well, it's like radiology, ophthalmology, anesthesiology, and dermatology. And sometimes they add E for emerge, ones that they say people are um, are happy with. Um, and I can certainly see why that is because of the flexibility, the, the, and the teamwork that you get, the dynamic work environment, the patients that you have. There's a lot of, there's a lot of pluses in anesthesia. Do you have any final words of wisdom or advice for students who are considering a career like yours? Go for it. Like really try and get as much from your clerkship rotations as you can. Hopefully I've convinced you both to become anesthesiologists because it is such a great career. <laughs> um, um, and even if you're not, that's totally fine. You won't offend me. Uh, but it is such a, it's such a great career. And I think that, you know, I, I didn't know how great it was when I was going through. Maybe it was because I only did two weeks of elective. So I think the more exposure, the better, especially if it's something that you never considered because I never considered it. So, so really give yourself the time to appreciate every single rotation you can because I think you'll get a lot out of it. And especially for like those hidden careers like anesthesia or like plastics and derm that you don't get too much exposure to really give it give it your all to to understand the specialty thank you so much this has been very insightful oh no problem i like i said i hope uh i've been able to be honest with you guys about the feel that hopefully i've been able to motivate people and yeah if there's more future budding anesthetists they're always welcome to contact me at any time and i'd be happy to chat more Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Northern Exposure. To suggest a guest, send us feedback, or learn more, check out our website, northernexposurepodcast.ca. We are both students of McMaster's Michael G. DeGroote School of Medicine, but this podcast is in no way affiliated with the school or program, and all views expressed are ours alone. Views expressed by guests on our show are personal opinions and should not be considered representative of any hospital, university, or other organization with which they may be affiliated. Included music is The Strip by Mila from the Free Music Archive, utilized under the Creative Commons Share Life License. Thank you.